have to learn your cliches. You're gonna have to study them. You're gonna have to know them. Well, you know, you go out there and you give 110% and you want to play good and, you know, you hope you play good. I think we play pretty good tonight. Well, you know, there's no I in the word team, and this is a team effort. 10-5, touchdown. Oh, man, you know, you just got to play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%. All right! Play ball. Happy almost fall, you movie-mad moviegoers, and thanks for taking in the 8th edition of Scoring at the Movies, the every-couple-of-weeks podcast that picks apart old sports flicks. Our pick-aparts, as always, are rammed to the rim with spoilers. I'm the trash-talker who sympathizes with dry-mouthedness and has a crippling gambling problem, Ryan Ellis, and here's the ferocious fellow with a closet drinking problem and who knows all the foods that start with the letter Q, Chris DiGregorio. Thank you, Ryan. I was going to say, you know, thank you for recording with me, even though I know the only reason you did it is because those mean kids over on the school courtyard there challenged you to record with the chump in the tie-dye baseball hat. But did you just call me Rosie Perez? You're the Rosie Perez, yeah. All right, well, I'm going to have to wear something a lot more revealing, but I can make that happen. You have nice nipples also. Oh, thank you. And we're in a fucking zone, man! I'm also very aroused right now, Ryan. Could cut glass with these bad boys. It's funny because she wouldn't do nudity and do the right thing. The time you see supposedly that character's boobs are a stunt double. But in this movie, you see them not necessarily full on in your face. There's but a lot of side boob. True. Yeah. A lot of Rosie Perez side boob. And a, and a lot, lot of Wesley Snipes side boob, too. Right. Also very nice. Yeah, very A lot well. of swearing, too. She <laughs> did that and do the right thing. She had no problem with swearing. Well, she never does. No problem with swearing. A lot of problems pronouncing Mount Vesuvius, though. <laughs> I don't think Zuvius would count. Mount Vesuvius. Bev and I watch Jeopardy all the time, and they would not accept that. Judges say it's good. A few warnings, by the way. We're recording this on Labor Day, so the air show, you might hear some planes flying overhead. And also the dogs are licking both Chris and I to death, so you'll probably hear some slurping. And also, last week, or two weeks ago, I should say, any given Sunday, we have some runs, hits, and errors. Pretty minor ones, but I want to clear this up. Paterno, the TV movie that Pacino made about Joe Paterno, was released on HBO of April this year, not last year. I remember seeing that. It seemed like it was a long time ago, but it was only about maybe four or five months ago, I guess. I do recommend it, by the way. Also, how did we overlook the probably deliberate symbiosis of Oliver Stone the writer and director of Any Given Sunday, and also the guy who wrote Scarface, casting Al Pacino as a guy named Tony, living in Miami, and whose last name in Scarface, Montana, was inspired by a football legend. Wow, you just blew my mind, right? I blew my own mind when I was editing the podcast and thought, how did we not even think of all these things? I knew literally none of those facts, so I know how I didn't think about it, but I don't know how you missed that. Now that you say it, it seems obvious, but good one. Are you a big Scarface guy? I know the movie pretty well, but I'm not a huge fan of it. I mean, I've probably seen it five or six times in oh, my life. I like it's it a more lot. more than me, then. Okay. I just watch it for its ridiculousness. I don't pay a lot of attention to the finer details. Although I should really pick up on the fact that Pacino's character was named Montana. Just one of those things you never think about, right? And Tony. Because he's Tony D'Amato. Tony D'Amato, Sunday. yeah. And he's also roaring in both movies. He's <laughs> roaring is what he does best. All right, well, this week's film, White Man Can't Jump, was released on March 27th, 1992. Another 90s movie. Most of our movies so far have been in the 90s, or the 80s. And one 2000s movie, Talladega Nights. It was 16th at the box office that year. A League of Their Own, which Bev and I covered last year, I guess it was, was out that same year, and it was 10th. Sports movie we can't do because Bev and I already did it. You bastards. I will nutshell white men can't jump. Apparently, they can. As long as they aren't carrying the ball. Okay, well, if they were carrying the ball, that's called traveling, Ryan. Well, I'm talking about the scene in the middle of the movie when he can't do it, when he tries three times. But at the end, somehow, when Wesley gives him the alley-oop, he is able to dunk that motherfucker. 
he guaranteed the win. He was in the zone. Personal guarantee. Actually, the fucking zone. Well, the zone was during the tournament. The he zone wouldn't was slam it. Yeah. He wouldn't even try. Probably because he knew when he was in the zone, if he tried to slam it, he would just jump so high, he'd go over the backboard, and then they'd be in all kinds of other trouble. So I can appreciate why he wouldn't try. In the That's tournament. my problem, too. Oh, I know. Way too good a jumper. This is why you wear ankle weights all the time, just to keep yourself down to... It's like I'm living on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> Those moon boots, except they're just your normal ankles. Boing. I have a second nutshell, by the way. You had me at Jeopardy. Well, no. He didn't have her at Jeopardy. No, I mean, this movie had me at Jeopardy. I'm a big fan of Jeopardy, as is my wife, Beth. <laughs> yeah, you know, we didn't watch it together, so we're watching it. We never it. have yet watched it We haven't together. yet. One no. of these days we will. All I could think about while watching that Jeopardy scene was everything that I expected you would find out was done incorrectly. Like the little idiosyncrasies or continuity error type things. I didn't notice so much of this continuity where maybe on the board they had clues that were already answered or weren't answered from one shot to another. Maybe that happened. I didn't notice that. And maybe this did happen in the early 90s, but the contestants walking on stage certainly doesn't happen anymore. They're already there when the lights come up. Yeah. Maybe they did in the early 90s. I wasn't watching much I think they then. did. I think at the time you could actually do this, but buzzing in early, we've talked about you this. You cannot now, it's you true. You can't anymore. You're locked out. I read this again recently, I knew this before, but I was reading again recently that if you're even a microsecond too soon, because apparently there's a little light that we can't see that goes off as soon as Alex has finished reading. So if his word was, the side of your beer, dry hopper sour, as soon as our is out of his mouth, but it has to be the R, then the light goes on. If you try on dry hopper, you are locked out for something like only a partial second. Which doesn't sound like a long time, but if the other contestants are trying to ring in, and that's why some people, Bev and I have talked about this in Jeopardy, they're probably brilliant people who did bad on that game because they were either too nervous in front of the cameras in the audience or because they weren't hitting the signaling device correctly. Ah, uh, so even in the dorkiest of game shows, your hand-eye coordination, physicality counts. That's true. But yeah. All right, well, this is a basketball movie, though. We're talking about Jeopardy. Which it's, no, this is Trebek this. cast. What are you talking about? <laughs> Jeopardy cast. He's been in at least two major pop culture things around that same time. Well, maybe more in the 80s that I can think of. The other one, of course, is Cheers. And they did a category where Cliff Clavin was on that show. They did it on the actual Jeopardy show years later. People who have not been in my kitchen. Because that was Cliff Clavin's answer when he blew it on Jeopardy. (laughs) Well, they also did foods that start with Q on the show. Okay, makes sense. We talked about Mount Zubius. Mm -hmm. Apparently that was a legit mispronunciation on Rosie Perez's part. And Alex, uh, Alex Trebek just rolled with it. And, you know, I think we're going to have to check with the judges. And as the story goes, Rosie Perez wanted to retake the scene so she could pronounce it correctly, and they wouldn't do it. They liked it too much, the way it played out as it was. So it's a cute little moment, just playing on her own natural accent, right? Right. Well, we've barely talked about the two stars of the film, although Rosie Perez and Alex Trebek are great. But Woody and Wesley are the appeal here, and of course their director, Ron Shelton. This is the third movie that I've been involved with reviewing this year that he's done, writing and directing. Bev and I did Bull Durham back in the spring, and you and I have done Tin Cup. Cup, This movie is not my favorite of the three, Bull Durham is, but just like Bull Durham, and to a big degree Tin Cup, it still is funny. I've seen this five times probably. I laughed a lot, and I like this movie an awful lot. It's way more fun than any given Sunday, which is a good film in its own right and has its problems like we talked about two weeks ago. But what do you think of White Men Cannot Jump? Well, first, I would prefer if it was white men cannot jump, you know, use that full or proper. proper English, but title problems aside, it is really funny. It's really good. Some of it is almost unintentional now, just looking back at early 90s humor. Some of it I didn't appreciate, because I've seen this movie probably four or five times now as well, but again, it's one of those movies that I haven't seen in 15 years, and you come at it from a different angle when you're in your 30s versus your late teens. 
I remember thinking Rosie Perez was annoying as all hell the first few times. I she saw is her. annoying, but also endearing. She's a little annoying, but she's very endearing. At the end of it all, she really got me with her final scene in the movie. And I laughed my ass off at a lot of the fashions, at a lot of the haircuts. I laughed my ass off at the fact that Woody is supposed to be the chump. He gets picked on all the time. Now, granted, he's the white guy going into downtown urban L.A. In the wearing the outfit he has on, too. Well, yeah, but that's the thing. He's wearing basically a tie-dye hat, high-top sneakers, baggy sweater and t-shirt. His parental advisory t-shirt. Parental advisory t-shirt. But you look at the guys on the court, the cool dudes are making fun of him, and they're wearing like spandex shorty shorts half of mm-hmm. the time. They're wearing bright neon early 90s tank tops, some of them. Their fashion is equally ridiculous. It and does look, look better on looking Wesley Snipes, though. Now. Well, Snipes actually had one of the less ridiculous outfits, I mm-hmm. thought, aside from the fact that you can see all the man nipple you want to see with his <laughs> tank top. That hangs down to his belly button. Yeah. The opening part of it, what do you want to call it? It's not really a tight tank top, any means. Seems like you're just begging your opponent to reach in and hook your shirt and foul you if you're wearing something like that. Wouldn't you want something like a little bit tighter to the body so they can't do that? I know when you're playing your hardcore inner city one on one, do you wear? I wear real nothing. Loose and fl- nothing. You can't grab me at all that way. Oh, I'm not from wrestling. Don't wear shirts in wrestling. Don't wear baggy shirts in basketball. That's fair. That's I'm fair. I'm really good at both things. This is why they call you white chocolate. <laughs> Make it rain. <laughs> well, we like the film, and so did critics. Seventy-seven percent of them said yes, which isn't a great number, but it's pretty good. Certainly better than some of the movies we've covered, like Angels in the Outfield. Well, this is also a lot better than most of the movies I think that's also true yeah one of our best ones of the eight so far yeah. and 68% of audiences so a little bit less there I'm surprised I thought maybe they'd like the movie more than the critics did yeah that surprises me too I even read that Stanley Kubrick digs this flick or well dug it because he's long dead now Kubrick liked The Simpsons though he wasn't the cliche I like all these esoteric things did he like The Simpsons? he was a huge fan of The Simpsons they said what did he think of the take on The Shining? Probably enjoyed it. If you liked the show, why would he enjoy their sense of humor? I don't know. I just didn't realize he was a big fan of that. That's interesting. That was back in the 90s, I think. Well, the show got big in the 90s. And he couldn't get it, from what I understand, through cable or antennas, that kind of thing. So he had to have DVDs or even just maybe videotapes shipped Mm -hmm. over. But he could afford to do that kind of deal. He was a big fan. And I don't think I'm really hip enough to review this movie, so maybe we should just stop. There's so many Yo Mama jokes and cool things going on here, and these guys are... Well, you say maybe not very good dressers, but they are pretty damn cool. And maybe it's dated, what they're, they're saying. Very early 90s cool, yes. But I still don't a feel... A lot like of high enough. fades going on in this movie. But I feel like a little white guy talking about this movie. Good even. I agree with you. Neither one of us are hip or cool. We are not hep cats, as it were. But <laughs> we'll set a few ground rules. We won't quote any Yo Mama jokes. Don't hurt ourselves, I'm quoting William. Yeah. I'm quoting your mama jokes. We won't go down the dissing route, and we'll stick, hopefully, to just quoting Woody's lines, the ones that we can comfortably cite as awkward white men ourselves. You do have a black C in your fro, man. Well, I am the white Zorro. The white <laughs> the, Zorro? The no, white, the, <laughs> the white Coro. The white Coolio? <laughs> there you go, Coolio. All right, there we go. We it used to be a C of some kind. <laughs> it took me a while, but I got there. Who says we're not cool? With these contemporary urban references, like... Coolio? We're getting cooler by the second. <laughs> oh, God. Well, the first scene oh, is at the Venice Beach Courts, which I don't know much about. I guess that's a pretty famous deal. I don't think that was an invention. Ron Shelton, the writer-director, was a basketball player. And one thing i got to wonder about this movie, I didn't read anything in the research, is he just this good at writing for mostly young and a lot of black kids? Well, not kids, but young people. He was older than them, for sure. Or did he let them improvise? Now, if he played basketball with these guys, and apparently he did, and I guess he was good enough to get by as the dorky white guy himself, 
that maybe he just picked up on this stuff. But it makes me wonder if he let Woody, Wesley, and the other guys just do the Yo Mama jokes and do all the other things. I didn't read yeah. that there's a lot of improvising. That's, did you? Yeah, I did. That is apparently a lot of, if not improvising, he told the actors to come prepared with some insults and some Yo Mama jokes. So apparently they all had come to set with a page each of their own Yo Mama jokes to throw out there. And I can't remember the name of the comedian, but I think it was Snipes had a friend that was a comedian in the area at that time, and he got him to write him a whole bunch of jokes and things like that. So Shelton, I think, was actually smart enough to let them do their own thing and just let it be natural rather than try to script it. It feels extremely natural. Yeah, it does. I mean, good actors can make written dialogue sound like they just thought of it right then and there. That is their job. But these guys aren't all star actors. Wesley Snipes certainly was at the time. He's top build, by the way. Things have changed movie. so much because Woody is certainly the bigger name by a mile. Woody's one well, of those actors that's in that category of maybe not thought of as a top star, but one of those beloved Kurt Russell, Jeff Bridges kind of guys. Yeah, he's one of those guys that pops up all the time. And most recently, he was in Solo. He popped up in, oh, good Lord, I suck at this one. He was in six movies last year there, I remember. One of them, yeah. of course, was Three well, Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. That's what I mean. He pops up all over the place, but you never think of him as the leading man type. He's, he rarely is. He's just one of those guys that just falls into a role, and he's good in whatever he does. But at this time, he wasn't a star yet. He was known for Cheers, mm-hmm. right? And Snipes... Had he done Major League yet? Yeah, that was three years before. Okay, so he was in just fact, becoming a bit Snipes of a star. had done four sports movies, including this one at that time. Football with Woody, actually, in Wildcats in the mid-80s. Okay. Baseball in Major League. Basketball in this. And what's the other one? I thought there were four things he did. Well, anyway, those three sports. Then he became a vampire at the end of the decade when he did Blade. <laughs> but then he became a guy who got tax problems and went to jail. And I think also his ego is a bit of a problem, too. Maybe it's the whole, well, you can have an ego, but you're a black guy, so you can't have an ego and be a black guy. But he has had troubles with Hollywood and with the law, and it's too bad because he's terrific in this movie, as is Woody. 20th Century Fox wanted Denzel Washington, who was a pretty good basketball player, as we see, and he got game, where he plays against Ray Allen. Right. I'm sure Spike Lee made Denzel look like he could get by against a professional basketball oh, player. Yeah. He had to. But in the scenes where Denzel's playing Ray Allen, he seems like... He's not too far behind him, really. He's doing okay. So if he's that capable, even with editing, to be a decent basketball player, he could have been good in this movie. And I was reading that Wesley Snipes, at least at first, was not a natural basketball player. Maybe he's just a good athlete and could fake it. And, of course, editing helps that kind of thing, too. Well, there's some clear editing done in this movie where it cuts away rapidly so you can't quite see the dribbles or you can't quite see all of the play. It comes out well in the end, though. It would have been interesting to see Denzel in that role, but... I'm happy that Snipes got it, because he's really charismatic in it. He really pulls it off He's great in this. He's one of those characters, though, that at the end of it, I found, as much as I loved his performance in it, I think you're right. His ego apparently became a big problem once he got into Blade fandom. He went to jail for three years. Let's not forget that. It wasn't a small thing. He tried to declare himself like a non-resident alien or something to avoid the charges. As the tax opposed, thing, right? As yeah. opposed to being a U.S. citizen, even though he was born, I think, in New York or something like that. He was definitely born in the northeastern United States. But I think it's also a function of the fact that later in his career, he really transitioned into that late 90s, early aughts action star role. He wanted to be the Black Schwarzenegger is what I read way back then. Yeah. And that movie, quite frankly, it faded away. Blade. No, not Blade. I mean, that genre of movie, that tough guy action star movie, the Van Dams, the Schwarzeneggers and Stallone vehicles of the 80s and early 90s, they just don't carry the same cachet anymore. So when he got out of prison, what was there for him to come back into? Made for TV movies or for Europe movies in some cases. Yeah, I think he's still working and just not in the same profile he was before. I'm sure there's other reasons for that as well. 
I talked about the Rosie Perez character and how my view of her changed a little bit. I remember loving Snipes and Woody both when I watched it as a younger guy. And I did not like the Snipes character at all. This time or before? This time. Really? I'll be interested to hear what your thoughts were. You have the Woody character. He's a hustler, and he's got a definite gambling problem. He can't stop himself from being an Mm -hmm. idiot. But at the end of the day, he seems like a guy that just wants to do right by his girlfriend, Mm -hmm. and he just can't help himself, and he's too stupid to get down the right path. He's just bad with money. Yeah, and then by the end of it, he's just plain stupid. He is dumb, yeah. But Snipes is smart. And he knows better than Woody does, that's true. He openly manipulates Woody two or three times in this movie. He does get Gloria her big shot. He's responsible for that because he's got the hookup with the guy. Robert, yeah. Which also didn't make a lot of sense because he's a security guard on the lot. Okay, great, but don't you have to go through regional testing and qualifiers to get on Jeopardy? I know. You can't just like walk onto the stage and there you are. Maybe it was just for the sake of the cut where it's Woody hitting the hook shot and then... This is Jeopardy! uh, So great cut. I felt like there was a gap there, but whatever. He still helped him out. I agree, it doesn't make a ton of sense, though, logistically. But he is the one that suggested to Woody, come with me, we're going out, I'll help you out. So that means that Snipes knew about Gloria's ambition to get on Jeopardy, even though I don't think that conversation ever happened on screen where we, as the audience member, would know. He knew he had a guy, a friend, in fact, one of the guys that he used to hustle Woody earlier in the movie, Mm -hmm that worked on the lot and could potentially help him out. So he did nothing about it until the 11th hour, until it really got Woody under his thumb. That's when the Snipes character, and I can't believe I can't remember his name. like Sidney Dean. Yeah, Sidney Dean and Billy Hoyle. Billy Hoyle, as Billy they seem Hoyle. to call him, it's Billy Hoyle. Sidney could have helped him out at any point in their relationship, and he never did until it really worked in his favor. And then once he did... He held that over Billy's head to the point where, because Billy was too stupid to let a debt go, it cost him his long-term relationship because Billy Dean forced him to see that debt through. Sidney Dean, you mean? What did I say? Billy Dean? Billy Dean. You're Billy Dean, Billy Dean, <laughs> Jimmy Dean. Yeah, so Sidney character, Wesley Snipes character, forces him to pay off that debt, and then he loses the girl that he helped get on the show, and then at the end of it all, it's, well, Gloria's not coming back. Nope. So I shouldn't have listened to you? No, you shouldn't have listened to me. But I'm Listen to the woman. He's so manipulative. Throughout the entire movie, he manipulates his wife, he manipulates his friends, he manipulates the Billy Hoyle character. And he's smart enough that he can get away with it, even if he's not a terribly successful guy. Like, they're still living in the jungle of L.A., but I, don't know, I found it very hard to root for him, except that I wanted his family out. I wanted something better for the Sidney Dean character's family, so, okay, I want them to win, but... Aside from that, if it was just Sydney, I wouldn't have cared at all. And his hustle of Billy, where he steals the money from him, doesn't steal, but he gets yeah, the money he from him. Yeah, he hustles him out of it. It was great. I think it was a good setup. And then, of course, when they do the basketball bet, white man can't jump, instead of that scene. He ends up with $5,000, which gets stolen by people. So he's setting himself up on his wife and his kid to get the hell out of the projects into a better neighborhood. But they steal the money. Why was that money not in the bank? My question exactly. And not just them. Gloria as well. After she goes on Jeopardy and she wins 14 grand or whatever it was at the end, that was the last dollar figure we saw, albeit before Final Jeopardy, so we don't know how much she actually walked away with. She estimates she'll win 12000 a week when she's... She's doing some calculations and she must be on the show for many days. It doesn't necessarily mean that when they're having their time on the boardwalk that she's only been on one episode. It could have been a week's worth of episodes at that point Then she kept winning. Although you can only win five in a row back then. You can win exactly. as many as you want to now. Well, that's why she calculated if I win all five weeks at twelve grand a week, that's sixty grand and twenty grand for the Tournament of Champions. Mm-hmm. That's eighty grand, and then I can go to acting school. But you're right. We don't know how many times she'd won at that point, but she pulls out 
a big ass cookie jar full of cash sits it down and pulls out two thousand dollars to hand to woody so i get the implication there she's kept all her winnings in this jar i don't think they pay them by the day on jeopardy either regardless of how she got paid by jeopardy she took a check because i don't think they're handing her a wad of cash went to the bank cashed the check put it all in a cookie jar and then kept it in a sketchy hotel room although i guess by then it was a nice hotel room but still you've got what 10 12 14 grand in a jar why do people not use banks in L.A. in the 90s? Right. What the hell was going and on? And the Stooky brothers were still on to them at that point. Exactly. It's after she leaves that it's finally taken care of. And it's really Stoochie, by the way. They Stucci. call themselves Stoochie. The Stoochie brothers She's are always back. saying Stooky. Well, yeah. I like the way that plays out, too. These guys look like they're going to kill <laughs> her and Billy. But then it's just a big scam. And obviously, that's what they do to everybody. Yeah, look like, at the Polaroids. Look at the Polaroids. <laughs> look at all the quote-unquote dead bodies. They didn't hurt anybody. That was a great scene, though, after Woody hands the Stooky brothers their money, and then it cuts to him lying on a filthy mattress mm. with a stream of blood coming out of his mouth, and it opens one eye. Is that good for you guys? For a second, you think he really is hurt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's not that kind of movie, but these guys were supposed to want to kill him. I remember when I first saw the film, I thought, oh my god, oh no, he's good. Yeah. Good fake out. It was a great innocence scene by Woody, channeling the Woody from Cheers, right? Yeah. These are the guys that have been chasing him down for God knows how long and threatening to kill him shoving a pistol down the front of his boxer shorts, mm-hmm. right? And at the end of it all, he pays them. They're clearly square now. His only They're not, th- actually. He doesn't pay them 8000 bucks. Well, he said he doubled his money, so he probably had $4,000 at that point, right? Because he contributed two grand towards the $2,500 buy-in with the Sydney character. The Duck and the King thing, the big bet at the end. He says, but I doubled my money. Why did she leave, right? When he was lamenting Gloria's yeah. disappearance. He probably had about $4,000 there, but he hands them the wad of cash, and they seem to think they're square. So I'm like, all right. And they can show their boss that they, quote-unquote, killed him. Yeah. But they make a profit. Yeah. Everybody wins. But the cute scene of him just concerned that the shot was good for the two guys that just were trying to kill him hours before mm-hmm. was really funny to me. You asked me about Sydney, and I didn't really answer that question, what I thought of his performance oh, yeah. and his likability. Sometimes this happens when Bev and I do podcasts, too, where one of us will talk about something and the other person will realize, oh, I feel a little differently now. I still like the character. I don't like him as much as I did now that you said all that stuff. I feel a little bit different. (laughs) There's a lot of layers in the performance. He shows self-doubt, even a little bit of fear at times. He's a guy with so many jobs. He talks all about this with his wife. He's got a lot of side hustles. Mm -hmm. And his wife is played by the mother in Boys in the Hood, the one who's across the street, Doughboy's mother. Tyra Farrell, I think is her name. She looks great in this movie, by the way. She she's does. pretty solid. And she's obviously the boss in their marriage. Oh, one more sidebar on this. We'll get back to Sydney in a second. When she and Gloria have their little meeting in the kitchen, they're talking about what they're going to do. Oh, you're going to give me that money. I'm not giving you that money. That whole thing. <laughs> do you want some cream in your coffee or sugar? <laughs> cream. And she's got the vodka because she's a drinking problem. I never noticed that before, that she's putting vodka in her drink early on when Billy's in the washroom. So obviously she doesn't want him to see that. And then she's drinking with... Can't remember her name. Yeah. 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 Let's look quickly. Oh, boy. She's drinking with Rhonda. Rhonda, okay. But they come out of the kitchen and talk to all the guys. Here's what's going to happen. The solution is those two guys enter this two-on-two brotherhood tournament. Yeah. Why do they need the wives to help them do that or to tell them to do that? They should be doing that anyway. It never comes out in the dialogue how these two actually know about the tournament at all. The wives. The wives, yeah. yeah. They have that tense moment and then they walk out and here's the proposal. Oh, I have a thought. I have a theory, right? I just thought of right now. Maybe Rhonda knew that Sydney was going to work with one of those other guys. Maybe Robert, the guy who is a security guard. Oh, maybe. The whole scam thing. It could be a no. Instead of him, you're going to work with Billy. Or play with Billy. You got a point there. That's possible. Okay. Maybe we're ruining our own thing there. But it seems funny to me that they're the ones that say, you're going to play in the angriest brotherhood tournament of all time. The 
Coalition of American Corporations. But it completes a theme in this movie throughout in that every character we see that's in a relationship, and it doesn't even have to be one of the main characters, even if it's just one of the guys on the court who goes off to the side to talk to his girl for a little while, every guy in this movie looks way dumber than their girlfriends. Or wives. Always. Right, fair. (laughs) So it just continues the theme of the wives being, quite frankly, the smarter in the relationships that they're in, right? And it's most explicitly played out in the case of Gloria and Billy. She's on to the scam that Sydney pulled with Robert. Immediately. He, exactly. And he's still, he's a good guy. He just wasn't playing very good D. Normally he plays good D. It's the eth- hustle, baby. It's the ethics of the hustle. The ethics of the hustle. <laughs> he wouldn't do that. You don't ask for your money back. Yeah. Well, when they go over to Sydney's house like that, where they're arguing and not quite fighting, getting to the point where maybe they're going to start pushing and shoving, and then they see the Laker game. Papa James! <laughs> These basketball fans are right back to loving basketball while the wives are negotiating in the other room. This was filmed, I guess, probably around 91 for a 92 probably, release, right? Yeah. So this would have been pre-peak Jordan. He was just becoming a star around this point. At this point, I guess... He was, was a star, but they hadn't won the championship yet. Right, you're talking early to mid-90s before he became Jordan as we all knew him, right? Mm. At this point, you're still thinking about Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to a certain degree. Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, so those kinds of guys. So the fact that Billy had to hit the sky hook, Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, the Lakers star I just said. Oh, Hakeem Olajuwon, you mean Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Olajuwon, both of them. They were both known for a sky hook too? Okay. Yeah, and they were both huge stars. But Kareem made it famous. Kareem made it famous, the sky hook. That's why I mentioned with the LA Lakers connection. So I really liked that little touch there that... Obviously, a lot of the players are wearing L.A. Lakers jerseys throughout the movie, but to force him to make that signature shot to win his way onto the studio lot was a really cool little nod to the Lakers star at that point. Robert, who's the one who makes him do that, is the one who's involved in the scam where they take Billy's money from him because they're in on the whole thing. It's also the guy who's playing with a gun in Sydney's apartment when... uh, Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. And actually says to Billy... What the hell's wrong with you, man? Can't you see him? I've got a gun here. What's wrong with you? Where's the ammunition? Where are my bullets? Papa James. <laughs> yeah, and then they're all distracted by the basketball game, and it's all forgotten. But when we see Robert and Sydney having their argument in the game that leads into the whole sort of, I'll play with anybody here. No, you play with the white guy who's coming down those stairs. The chump. They're all playing out like they did before about how they're picking the chump, as you just said. This was all an act. So who are they performing for? Billy can't even hear them. He's too far away at that point. They're performing for us, the audience, I guess. Oh, I see. Okay. I hadn't thought about that, actually. I guess the implication is that Snipes had already been playing against those two, right? Mm-hmm. And then he loses, and he wants a rematch, but he wants a higher-stakes rematch. Isn't that how it all kind of plays out? But you got to play with the chump? Basically, that's the idea, yeah. Okay. So they, the chump isn't even aware they're... Well, he knows, because he's in on what's supposed to be their hustle. But he gets hustled. Yeah. What I'm saying is that he doesn't know he's being hustled by these guys. They don't have to, they have to be playing. He has to come and see them play. They can't just be standing around acting like they're not doing anything. I think that's it. I guess because Snipes knows that he'll be walking in in time to get picked to be his partner, they need to make it look I better get in character now. Better get in character okay, kind yeah. of thing. Eh, that's fair enough. These are the kind of things Bev and I like to talk about in our podcast, too. <laughs> we call it reasonably good questions. <laughs> Not necessarily good questions, it's reasonably good. Okay, again, Sydney, I haven't answered that part yet. So I like him. I think he's got a lot of charisma. I understand his point of view. He does have a lot of charisma. But he does fuck over his new friend. But at least he does have the whole thing where Billy leaves when he hustles him the first time. Because you don't know then necessarily they get hustled, unless you're as smart as Gloria. I'm sorry, Billy. I'm really sorry. And he seems like he's genuine about it. So maybe that excuses it. And also he does help him getting his girlfriend a lot. You're right. The way he did it was a little bit underhanded. But he is trying to hustle and make enough money 
for himself and for his family. So it's not cool, maybe, but I can forgive most of those things. And he's just so damn good. It's almost one of those deals where even if he is a bastard, <laughs> really deep down, well, I don't know. I don't think deep down he is a bastard. He is portraying that he is this cool, hip guy. And he is. It's pretty. It's so pretty. I always love that line. But then when he's with his wife and kid, he's a whole different person. Yeah, all of a sudden he's wearing the flowing, loose, button-down shirts he's of the early man. 90s and the high-top fades. And he all could that. be a white guy. He doesn't come across at all like this hip, cool black guy. Yeah, he really transitions well. Like when he's talking to his mark of a client about their construction job he's going to do for him, you can see the way his manner changes all of a mm-hmm. sudden, right? His eloquence changes dramatically. and He's much more mannered and things like but that. But if he's like that with his family, too, then that says to me that's the real guy. And then on the court, he's just playing. He's this big person. Not literally big. Yeah. Speaking of that, by the way, Woody's always got to defend the tall guy. Do you notice that? Duck and the King, he's got to be against the big tall guy in the Brotherhood tournament. He's against the big tall guy. He, he may be slightly taller than Wesley Snipes, but it's not like there's a big difference there. Somebody has to guard the big guy, but why is it always Woody? I think or Woody is he? slightly taller. That's just it. And he gets ragged on by Wesley Snipes throughout the latter half of this movie anyway about white men can't jump. Mm-hmm. You can't dunk. Why don't you dunk that? We never see Snipes dunk, right? The only time we see him attack the rim like that is during that scene with the bet where Woody... He checks to make sure it's regulation. And he doesn't dunk. He grabs the rim. And you got to get another six to eight inches of air to dunk over the rim versus just grabbing Ooh. it and then pulling yourself up. You may have up. come up with a nice little angle there. I never thought of that before. Maybe you're right. I don't think he dunks. I don't think he does. I don't think he ever does. We see him lay it up a bunch, and we see him give up the shot a lot. I can't remember him dunking. He just talks a big... Again, it goes back to the Sydney character. He talks a big game. He's got this big persona that I think you're right is probably an act for the benefit of the court more than anything. Mm. It's not really who he is. But when it comes down to it, he's not the guy that his mouth really portrays him as. I like when characters have to act in movies, and Bev and I have talked about that a lot in the other podcasts. When it's clear that somebody's putting on a front, Billy does it too, obviously, playing the chump. I love the way he plays that first hustle against... Sydney, where he keeps on nailing those long shots. <laughs> I'm also way better players than you. And then he gets more serious. I've never hit two in a row. Oh, oh I can't hit three. Oh my god, I hit three in a row. Four, no, four is never going to happen. This is a great scene. And then you're right, he gets serious all of a sudden. Billy is supposed to be this hot shot, fallen out college basketball player. Is that the rough story that we're led to believe? Right? Yeah, he thinks he's going to get into some summer league. But he finally admits at the end that's not going to happen. And speaking of that, by the way, their basketball coach thought that both Wesley and Woody could have starred for, or at least been on, Division Three teams. Really? Yeah, and I was reading, and I guess we talked about this already, that Wesley Snipes wasn't as natural as he seems on the no, court, no. but Woody Harrelson was. Woody Harrelson played basketball on Cheers. They had an episode where Kevin McHale is one of their bartenders. They go against a rival bar. It's Kevin McHale and Woody against three other guys, and it's really just McHale by himself destroying the Old Town Tavern. But Woody had played <laughs> basketball before, and he does seem like he's a natural. If Wesley's not, then he's a great faker. Yeah, they both look good on the court. It's just interesting to me that that level of competition is held out to be so damn good. And I mean, it is. Don't get me wrong. I couldn't hold my own against like a varsity high school basketball player. But You've got the height. You're 6'4". Yeah, well, that's pretty much tall enough to maybe be a point guard at that level of competition. True. Did you get asked or even harangued into playing basketball in high school? No, because for some reason I went to a high school that just seemed to specialize in hormone-induced teenagers. Because Oh, you didn't stand out then? I didn't stand out. Oh, really? I was 6'4 when you I would was have been my school. 13 years old, and I was probably the 10th tallest guy in my, yeah. my class. It was pretty crazy. And you're not a very good basketball player either, is what you're saying. I, I think don't know, I'm, I'm reasonably okay, oh, okay as a recreational player goes. But like I said, if you're hoping to play at a, even like the Division three level of college basketball and you're six foot four, you better damn well be quick as well. 
You're right. Because you're a point guard. You're a point guard, so you got to be. Or maybe the shooting guard. Yeah, Yeah. true. So I mean, I can shoot, I can dribble, I can move okay, but I'm not that fast. We should play sometime, not one on one, but just go out there and shoot. That's all I can do is shoot. I'm a pretty good shooter and an okay passer, but I've always been terrible at dribbling, and my court sense is for shit. (laughs) You're the Steve Kerr of. I wish I was Steve Kerr. That's the funny thing about pro sports. We talked about it a little bit with baseball when we did Angels in the Outfield. We'll talk about it more when we do Major League, probably in other baseball podcasts we'll do in the future. Pro athletes, especially baseball players, football players, there's so many more of them on a team. You have to be remarkably good at the sport. If you're the worst player in the Major Leagues or the NBA or whatever, you have to be incredibly good at the sport to the point if you just play with regular people, you'd probably look like you're Wayne Gretzky or you're Michael Jordan or you're Muhammad Ali or whatever against them. And yet, in your actual sport, you suck. No, exactly. And you use Major League Baseball as an example. So you got 30 teams. you got what, 25-man rosters for most of the year. So if you're in the Major Leagues, you're probably one of the, what, 750 best players on the planet. You're a staggeringly talented Amongst baseball player. Amongst a couple billion people, yeah. yeah. You remember Billy Butler, the first baseman designated hitter from Oakland and Kansas City? Right, yeah. Yep. Briefly for the Yankees as well. Had a couple really good years. Got a big payday out of it. And then he's not even in the Majors anymore. He's not very old yet either. No, he's about 30 years old, 31 years old. And there's videos now that have surfaced of him because he's still collecting a contract, right? He's under contract for a few more years at like seven, eight, ten million dollars. The Royals or somebody like that signed him, didn't they? I think so. So there's video you talk about being staggeringly good. He's playing rec league men's softball down in Virginia, wherever he's living now. And he's one of those guys that has a batting average of like 950 with... (laughs) A home run, pretty much every at bat he ever bullets has. bullets everywhere, probably. Yeah. Too. He looked like a bit of a joke in the majors by the end of it all, but you put him up against a mortal human being at the <laughs> diamond, and he just looks unbelievable. It's a really interesting comparison when that happens, and when that happens with a player that is still in the like early 30s. You're not talking about somebody who's 50 years old and has been out of the sport for 10 years. He's still somebody that could conceivably challenge for a job. But we are not in the same realm as these athletes, unfortunately, Ryan. I hate to tell you. Not even close. No. We can't pull off the skinny tank tops the way that Wesley Snipes can. I sure can't. You talked about professional athletes. Did you notice the sheer number of pro basketball players that were in this movie? No. A lot. You can kind of tell just by the caliber of acting that's going on, too, who's a pro and who's not. Are the two guys they beat in the Brotherhood tournament pro players? One of them is for sure. The point guard, the shorter guy, I remember him. I think he played for Sacramento, maybe, or Golden State. He has a terrible giveaway when they lose the game, too. The guy with the Z in the fro, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. he tries to save the ball from going out, but he just basically hands it right to yeah, it's not a great Sydney. And then let's have a two on one, and that's where Billy should have been dunking it, but he didn't because he can't. I think his name is Freeman Williams, if I remember. His last name is Williams, anyway. Okay. The other guy I definitely recognized was Marcus Johnson, who I think plays Raymond in this movie. Most of these players that show up in this movie were a little bit before I became a big basketball fan. And that Raymond character, by the way, is one of the guys that cracks me up more than anything in this movie. You know, the guy that says, 500 bucks? All right, all right, sucker, I don't believe it, but I'm going to go to the glove compartment of the car. I'll be right back. And he goes, he pulls out the gun and the mask and walks around the corner. Oh, that guy you're talking about. I thought you were talking about the Brotherhood Tournament because that is a fun scene. I like that one an awful lot. Yeah, when Raymond goes to try to like, hold up the guy, <laughs> yeah. and right away the guy just, <laughs> Give me Raymond, the- is that you? <laughs> no, it's not Raymond, man. <laughs> Raymond, what the hell are you doing? Oh, man. Listen, you need a gun. Here, give me 300 bucks. That is a great scene. There are crazy people here. Way crazy That was movies. so creative. I love that. If he'd stolen the money, it would have been maybe funny, but also a little bit scary if he'd gotten away with that. But the way that plays out is so great. Yeah, and then the whole thing, I'm going to get my eyes the gun, shoot every motherfucker here, and then yeah. run away. Did you notice, I never noticed this until this viewing, that when they're all running over the fence, or at least most of them are, 
First, Sydney goes over the fence, yeah. and then Billy's behind Billy him. Billy heaves the bag over the fence. And Sydney catches it in one motion without looking. They may have done 20 takes, and that was the one they kept, but it looks so natural, and it's so in sync. These guys have only known each other for a few days at that point. <laughs> it's like, like they've been running away from shooters all their life together, Ryan. <laughs> Unbelievable. But Raymond is funny. But you're talking about, I thought we were talking about at least, the Brotherhood Tournament. Those two guys... Yeah, I mean, one of the guys... Oh, but like, Raymond's a pro player, too, you mean? Raymond is also a pro player. Really? He does not look like a basketball player. I think player. there's like five or six pros over the course of this movie, and they're usually the twosomes that you see involved in games against, against oh, the, the two okay. leads. That guy's funny. He's a pretty good actor, actually. Well, he doesn't do a lot. He's mostly just saying, I don't believe it, man. I don't believe it, man. Man, I don't believe it, man. But he's pretty funny. And like you said, that scene with the convenience store holdup is one of the funniest moments in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, they used a lot of pros just to really make it look believable. And for the most part, it does. There are one or two scenes, like you pointed out, where it's just pretty obvious that they're sandbagging it for the benefit of the movie. But they do a really good job of shooting basketball in this thing. Way better than most of the movies we've seen as far as portraying the sport. Yeah. In fact, I think the last two movies we've watched now are probably the two best. Any given Sunday in this, yeah. Yeah, as far as just on-screen portrayal of the sport that is involved in it, right? Angels in the Outfield, like we said, knows nothing about baseball. Oh, please, no. That's it's a badly that's a shot movie. And we've picked some movies that aren't necessarily good, and we knew they weren't good. But these last two, whether or not you love them as movies, yeah, the actual sport portrayal is terrific. One of the things that caught me in this viewing that I never noticed before, I talked about how Rosie Perez changed for me as a character, or as an actress, and her character changed for me, watching it now versus 15 years ago or whatever. She is hard on Billy. Right? Oh, yeah. From, he needs, from the get-go. He needs a mother figure, though, obviously. He does. And she's hard on him rightfully because he's an idiot. He gets gamed all the time. He can't control himself. Like, down to the point where they win the five grand at the Brotherhood tournament. So 2500 for him. 2500 yeah. for him, 2500 for Sydney, And he can't even get that money home. And he gets so worked up in this you-can't-dunk conversation with Sydney that he's lost it in a bet before he gets home to Gloria. Mm-hmm. Ego over brains. Exactly, and that's his story. So you're right, he needs a mother figure. He needs somebody to be hard on him. But she is no better, and that's what really caught me this time around. He's a hustler. He's got these hopeless ambitions of being a summer league pro or something, but what is she doing? She's sitting at home studying almanacs and, and drinking all day. By and drinking all day in the hopes of getting on Jeopardy so that you can win at most $80,000, which is, okay, a good sum of money, but it's not going to be a nest egg for life. Her next step in the plan is to get on soap operas and the big screen within three years that's her life's goal which is if anything i think based on what we've seen of billy's talents versus hers in this movie his goals are more likely (laughs) to happen than hers absolutely yeah so any acting teacher worth their salt will tell you do it for the love of doing it don't ever expect to get anywhere with this and don't ever expect to make a lot of money at this if you ever make money period if you can make your living being an actor or an actress then great but you're right. What well, we see of the character, I'm not critiquing Rosie Perez's talents, but the character's talents. Oh, the character. Yeah, she's not going to be an actress. Not a good one. Not a high-paying one, anyway. I also enjoyed the fact that when she was introduced on Jeopardy, when she finally got that big break, she's introduced as a former disco queen. Right, yeah. <laughs> There's a whole other story there. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that was a career option. And she's wearing the Hoochie Mama dress, isn't she? Is she is wearing the Hoochie Mama dress. <laughs> if I'd known that was a career path you could go for, I might have taken a whole different road in my life, Ryan. i got to tell you. <laughs> Where does the moral superiority come from for this Gloria character? At the same time, though, by the end of it all, when she does finally break down, when Billy tells her, listen, this is one last hustle I owe Sydney Again, and this is why I found it so hard to root for him at the end of it, right? Sydney, that is. Mm-hmm. Because he's standing there. He's watching Gloria. He's smart enough to know what's happening. He sees it. Like You see it in his yeah, face. His character knows what's happening. Mm-hmm. As she's looking away in disgust and saying... Billy, I just want you, you either play the game or you come with me because you can't yeah. have both now. 
And he says, all right, I guarantee victory, and we're going to go play. And he thinks it's all good. Like, he thinks he said the right thing, and then she just sort of looks sad, kisses him, and says goodbye. But Sydney knows better. You can see it in Sydney's face. Like, he looks so sad because Billy's calling after Gloria as she rollerblades away. I'll see you back at the hotel. Everybody knows it's over. He knows it's over. He knows it's, he's the cause of it. The performance of the three of them together, I thought, was really emotionally affecting. I was very impressed by the way it played out. For a movie like this, which is so intentionally ridiculous for most of the Mm -hmm. movie, it's so silly, but it has this really heartfelt moment of sincerity at the end of it that hit me more than I thought it would as an adult, and I never picked up on it at all as a younger girl, I gotta say. Billy winning her back, singing a song behind the scenes of Yeah, that was cute. I had to look up the scene in Cheers where it's the Kelly song. Kelly, my darling, you are my sunshine. <laughs> Kelly, 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 K-E-L-L-Y. <laughs> so Woody can sing absurd songs and win women's hearts. Although in the show, Cheers, her next line after he sings the song, everyone claps is, that was really beautiful. Now where's my present? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't take a lot in this movie to win Gloria back. Although it made me wonder, did she ever find out that the reason she got on Jeopardy was because of Billy? I don't think that Billy would have told her. I think he would do the whole sort of, I'm doing this without her knowing I'm doing this. Right, and that's kind of what I took away from it. In that last scene when she's tearing him apart, saying we've finally got it together, we finally got the big Jeopardy score we've been waiting for. And she's saying it in a way that implies that she doesn't know he got it for him. He's taking the flack and she's about to walk away from him forever. And at no point does he try to turn around and say, listen... I'm only doing this because I owe Sydney big because he helped me get you on the show. But if he admits that, then he admits he had to bet to do that too. He does, but I mean, at that point, what does he have to lose? Well, true. Although, again, he doesn't realize she's walking away forever at that point. He's too dumb to pick up yeah. on it. But at the very least, I expected the Snipes character to step forward and say, I need this. My family needs this. We just got robbed. I got to get my family out. He owes me because I got you on Jeff. There was so much that could have happened to redeem the Wesley Snipes character and I have to believe that it was left out of the script intentionally to make him seem like the morally ambiguous guy and maybe make it questionable whether or not you want him to win well it's also a matter of the story being over there's not a whole lot of story in this anyway or maybe not a whole lot of plot I should say it's almost two hours long it does flow pretty naturally it's not like it's a series of scenes they're just jammed together like some movies are even really good movies sometimes are like that it does have a pretty good flow. And at the end, you've got the two <laughs> men. It's another male love story, really. Even though there's great romances with their wife and girlfriend, those two are really the love story here. And they're yeah. fighting at the end, throwing the ball at each other. And freeze frame, it belongs to them, the movie, as it should. Unlike this podcast, which is just a jumble of totally unrelated <laughs> conversation pieces and might be 50 minutes long, but feels like it's two hours long, that movie flowed well, was two hours long. But in watching it, it felt like it was about an hour. It really moved quick. Mm-hmm. When it all wrapped up, you're right, the story reached its natural conclusion, such as it is in the Basketball Hustle movie. At the end of the day, they kind of are victorious. The biggest moment in the movie is that, yeah, Woody Harrelson dunked. There you go. White men can sometimes jump, as you said. He wasn't holding the ball, though. He had to jump without the ball. He wasn't weighed down by the heavy, heavy basketball, so he was able to get up. But they could have just left that last scene out of the movie, I think, where Harrelson and Snipes are sort of talking next to the wall after the staged picture with the... The Stookies. The Stookies, yeah. I also found it really funny, though, that Snipes' character was supposedly just, like, standing behind in the background watching them stage this hit photo for the Stookie Brothers mm-hmm. Polaroid album. And then after all gone, he just sort of, like, waves. See you later. See you later, guys. <laughs> then they chit-chat for three or four minutes, and they talk about, 
you gotta listen to the woman, but you don't gotta like agree with her. And then, oh man, Wesley, I gotta get a job. Can you get me a job? And no, Glory's not coming back, is she? No, I'm afraid not, man. That was a really weird and bleak scene. It's life advice, I guess, and to a certain degree, it's Woody's character growing up a bit, but it's just reinforcing the fact that he lost. He lost everything he had. He has no money. Yeah, no place to live. He has no place to live. His longtime partner is gone. He's got nothing. He's got new love, though, in his life, and that's Sidney Dean. Oh, dear Lord. I don't mean it that way. (laughs) Well, self-realization can be important for real people or for movie characters. Maybe that's supposed to be the idea that he finally gets it. It was a really interesting choice by Shelton to do that. It would have been so easy to have Gloria show up at the end of the game or have the change of heart. A lot of movies would have done that. It would have been the easier way out. Then everybody's happy then. Wesley Snipes' character gets the money, and then you got Woody's character who gets the girl, and he's learned a lesson. He goes and gets a job, and look, it's a, a nice, happy ending. He had that chance, though, when he blew it by playing one more game when she told him not to. Ron Shelton likes his spirituality. Annie's baseball theories in Bull Durham are so much about the spiritual thing of baseball, the references to the gods in Tin Cup. We talked about that a few months ago. And the soul singers at the beginning and the ending of White Man Can't Jump. I have a proposal for you, Ryan. As a rock band aficionado yourself. We'll be playing that very soon. A vocalist, no less. I say that when we are old, broken down men. Duck and the King, that'll be what we're called then. No, because we're not that talented. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> It'll be more like quail and the Joker or something like okay. that. You notice the quail reference? Foods that start with Q. Oh, nice. So quince. Quince. A quince. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, when we're old, broken down men, which is not going to be terribly far into the future, That's I will true. point out, we need to form a cappella duo or get a third in here and then get a trio going mostly because I just want to be the guy in the background that's not actually singing but just doing things like boom 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 no bass just vocalizing the bass notes I mean I loved it so much that opening scene where it's just like two minutes of the one guy on the far right just rocking out going boom 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 something that I think I could actually do and maybe be beloved for it things to look forward to yeah attainable goals that's what I'm all about Ron Shelton also likes his sex scenes, because in Bull Durham, there's those really awesome ones towards the end with Sarandon and Costner, and of course, a couple of times in this movie. More than I remembered there being. Rosie Perez and Woody Harrelson get it on a fair Make bit. Make love to you over and over and over. Honey, believe in safe sex. This can't be safe sex. <laughs> <laughs> that scene in the car was great. Honey, this can't be safe. Also, there's a story about how Ron Shelton and I guess probably the two guys were going to make a sequel or maybe even a TV show, and they didn't because he sued the studio for profits and won ten million bucks. So that's why that ended. That and it's too bad. There's a lot Shelton. of movies. Yeah, Shelton. Did. Shelton sued what, them. That's what I was reading. Really? That's I don't think bad. he ever worked for Fox again either. Tin Cup was a Warner Brothers production, I'm pretty sure, and he's only made a few movies since this time. This is 26 years ago, and he's made I don't know how many movies since then. He hasn't made one since I think it was 2003 or something like that. So he sued Fox for profits and got mm-hmm. 10 mil. That's what I was reading. How much did this movie make in profit? Do you know, something like 76 million it made at the box office. So well, that was not profit. No, but no, it did pretty well. The budget at this time was probably what like 25, 30 million, Maybe something tops. like that. And of course, it did well on home video. I'm sure. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of money to sue for, though. Mm-hmm. Shelton, who, as you've mentioned before, is a big sports guy and apparently a, a really good basketball player yeah. as well, naturally. This movie was running a little bit like half a day's production behind and 15000 over budget. The studio was ragging on him about it, so he challenged a studio executive to a game of one-on-one. And if he won, then he got the extra fifteen grand and half a day's shooting schedule. But if he lost, he would cut half a day's shooting from somewhere else in the movie. 
and go forward. And he won. He won on the last shot of the game, and they got their extra money in time to finish out the movie as he saw. How play. fitting he made a bet. Right? Gambling problem also. A lot of the behind-the-scenes stories of this movie are almost as good as the movie itself, well, because it's like thematic. The way it got made is in keeping with the way the movie actually was. And Wesley Snipes, we've learned since, has some issues. I mean, maybe part of the reason why we know these things about him, and he's been tamped down the way he has by Hollywood, is because he dares to be a black man. And if you are like that, and you're black... Then you get ousted. If you're a white guy, they'll let you get away with a lot more shit. No, the you... fact is, he could have been a major star for all of this time, and he hasn't been. Yeah. And it makes you wonder if he was already a bit of a problem behind the scenes when he made this movie and others. I didn't read that. These two made another movie together. Wesley and Woody made Money Train, not with Ron Shelton. So obviously they must have liked each other. Was Snipes and Money Train? They were the co-stars of that. Holy shit. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. One okay. thing we didn't say earlier, by the way, talking about Gloria and Billy's relationship... I like the symbiosis with Color of Money, which we covered a little while ago. Billy's big failing, just like Vincent in Color of Money, is his girlfriend. And Sydney even calls him out on it. Oh, on the court, you're Mr. Cool. Nothing rattles you. But no, as soon as the woman comes up, oh, no, no, no. And then it's too much for you. Just like Vincent, right? Yeah, they're both simple but extremely talented guys. And flakes. And flakes. But they will cut you if they have to over the woman. Yeah, that's right, because Billy, one of the first things he says to Sydney after Sydney meets Gloria for the first time is that if you even lay a hand on her, I'll beat your ass. Yeah. Sydney had done nothing to warrant that except be in the car with Gloria when he got a ride home with the yeah. two of them. Both Vincent from Color of Money and the Billy character here have the same issue where if you insult them or question their ability, they lose all rational thought. They'll do anything to prove you wrong. Even but they don't really rattle in the process of it, though, the way they do when the girlfriend is in any way suggested when it comes to cheating, I guess is what we're coming down to. I can't lose her. Yeah. And this can't be to you, especially. It can't be to either Paul Newman or Wesley Snipes in these two movies. You're right. They're very closely... Hair That's interesting, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Good mm-hmm. symbiosis call, yeah, right? Definitely. <laughs> All right, the movie was nominated in the sports category of the top 100 genres. Didn't make it, of course. Yeah. How is it not nominated for the top 100 comedies? I double-checked this thinking I must have had that wrong. I've got a list of every movie that was nominated for any AFI list ever. And it wasn't in there. It was just the sports categories thing. There are 500 nominees on that list, which was a long time ago. They did the comedy list way back when. How the fuck, man? Wasn't even nominated. Might have been nominated. That's a little surprising. Maybe it was a little bit too dark. There are some real deep themes in this. If you look Fargo through. is on the comedies list. That's got some dark stuff in it. All right, I take it back. I have no good answer for you. <laughs> I have been put in my place. Ghostbusters is one of the top rated comedies. And as Bev and I talked about when we did that like last year or a couple years ago, maybe... It's a pretty dark movie. Scary when you're a kid. Ghostbusters is dark, yeah. This movie was really funny, though. I enjoyed it so much. All right, so the big question at the end, as we always ask now, is can you score? I say not only can you, but you should try scoring with your easily irritated girlfriend while driving through the streets of Los Angeles. No safe sex. See, my problem, Ryan, is that I would try to score, but I would have already lost my movie tickets and bucket of popcorn in an ill-advised air hockey table bet to some loudmouth smartass in the lobby of the movie theater. Damn arcade in the front. Yeah, it gets me every time. That stupid Dance Dance Revolution. I've lost more girlfriends because of that game. <laughs> so while some savvy, cool-headed individual like yourself could very easily score at this movie, somebody as simple-minded and impetuous as I... Blow it. I would blow it. I would be the Billy of it all. <laughs> it's a sexy movie, though. It might be the sexiest one. It probably is the sexiest one we've covered so far. You do get a lot of sweaty dudes on the court just flashing a lot of man muscle. But then you also see a sex scene a couple times, actually, with Rosie Perez and Woody Harrelson. And then a brief one with Tyra Farrell and Wesley Snipes. Yeah, Wesley Snipes, yeah. Although you get a lot of Snipes back in that, not much else. Speaking of sexy scenes, something I totally forgot to mention earlier. You talked about Venice Beach being the opening basketball scene of this movie, right? And there's a large crowd of people just sort of hanging around watching the game. 
Did you notice that throughout that scene, both in the game that Snipes is playing and then once Harrelson comes on the scene and they start playing as well, there's one beefy white guy in the background just for the entire thing. Shirtless, wearing high tops and spandex, neon, highlight shorts. And he's just like this big, burly, hairy, blonde dude who's just loving life and getting a kick out of everything that's going on on the court. It's very much like when we talked about the Karate Kid and there was the big fight scene on the soccer field mm-hmm. and there was the one character. And you actually Chad McQueen, Steve yeah, McQueen's Chad son. Who was, just, <laughs> yeah, who was just loving it in the background the yeah. whole time. This guy is the Chad McQueen of this movie. This shirtless, hairy, blonde dude <laughs> hanging out in Venice Beach, catching some games and loving every minute of it. Well, two things about that then. They're lucky, or at least Billy is, that he didn't get picked for the basketball game where Billy pulls the two passes out of his ass and then of course the thing progresses and the other thing that Billy's lucky about is that the one guy had bunions and had to get off the court (laughs) because otherwise Billy wouldn't have been picked at all I mean I thought the implication there was that there was no bunions to be had the guy was just tired of getting his ass kicked and was looking for well it's probably true but he said it was bunions so I'm going to believe him speaking of bunions check out this segue did you notice the high top pump sneakers Billy is trying to dunk. and Well, Sydney does the whole, let me pump you yeah, up Yeah, let me there. pump you up. Get off, man. It's a fucking bet. <laughs> did you ever own a pair of high-top pumps? I don't think I ever had pumps, but I definitely had high-tops. I think we all did, didn't we? Certainly oh, we boys did. did. Maybe not girls. One of my happiest childhood memories was getting those pumps for the first time and really getting them good and tight on my foot for no benefit whatsoever. I could have just tied the laces tighter, but man... Pumping those shoes up the two or three times they worked before the air pocket yeah. inside exploded. I was going to ask you if they actually worked. They did, but they would inevitably Briefly. break shortly thereafter. But God, what a fashion of the 90s that was. All right, when we talk to you again in two weeks, we'll be gabbing about another Wesley Snipes joint. And this one is in anticipation of the 2018 Major League Baseball playoffs. Major League! Willie Mees Hayes! One of many baseball movies we're going to do. This is the first time we've done a genre twice. We did... Angels in the Outfield way back when. At this point, maybe we'll start covering movies willy-nilly. We wanted to do different types. We've now covered the big ones. Well, maybe not hockey is included not anymore, but hockey, baseball, basketball, football, and golf, and pool, and so on. Good timing for this, and again, one of my favorite all-time sports movies. By no means one of the best baseball movies. Not one of the best. Field of Dreams or Eight Men Out right. or those kinds of films, which are just flat-out better one of the most, than actual. most fun, though. But as far as fun goes, definitely way more so. And same year as Field of Dreams, by the way, and the year after Eight Men Out. Yeah. So a great baseball era. Bull Durham was 88 as well. So in those couple of years, you had so many good baseball movies. And this is the most fun of all of them. Well, maybe not more so than Bull Durham, but it's right there with it. I think so. And we've not watched this movie together or talked about it before. So I'm really interested to hear what your thoughts are going to be when we sit down to review it. The parallels between you and the Charlie Sheen character are so striking. We're twins. You're twins. Same haircut, same glasses, You know, same walk-up music. Same tiger blood. Same tiger blood, yeah. <laughs> you keep telling me how you're winning all the time. It's Hashtag. Tri- yeah. <laughs> Never mind. The, the Charlie Sheen of the modern era is at a Trump level. I really despise him. But in this time frame, 1989, and in that movie, he's a lot of fun. We'll he's talk about that in two weeks, though. So I am at MovieFiend51 on Twitter. I am Podcast at gmail.com, the Top Runner Project website. Chris is not yet, unless he's going to tell me right now, having a Twitter address, and you cannot email him because he won't let you. As you said that, I just remembered that I talked about creating a Twitter Two address. Two weeks ago. God damn it. I have to stop procrastinating. Eventually. Next time. And that, as they say, is that.